It's time. Time to come together, to come to God, come one, come all, to bring our all to the one who has given us his. The time is now to worship, to lift our hearts, our hands to the one who is worth it. It's time to set aside the time on the clock and watch what can happen in an instant when we focus our attention on him. It's time to approach his throne with confidence that he is good, he is faithful, he is able, he is holy, he is here. It's time to draw near, tilt our ear in his direction, be moved by every inflection of his voice. Rejoice in the risen sun, revel in the Father's love as we cast our cares into his hands and stand on holy ground. It's time to make a joyful sound, to bring our lives before the living God, turn our gaze upon his face and bask in the beauty of his grace. It's time to make space, make room. The guest of honor is in the room, the one who sits enthroned and crowned. Let's not wait another moment. It's time. The time is now. Church, let's worship the Lord here in his house.
side has the cup. We're going to do the bread first, okay? It might be a little challenging if you open up the cup first. For hundreds, thousands of years, Christians have done what we're about to do. Remember what Jesus did on the cross. Remember his sacrifice. Remember what it means. If you're a Christian this morning and you have professed uh, faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate with us uh, this morning. But I think it's just appropriate that if we just close our eyes and just for a moment, let's just prepare ourselves. If there's things that you need to confess, just if you just need to be still, but just center your heart, your soul upon the Lord. Focus in your mind's eye, Jesus, on that cross, and just, just for a few moments, be still before you partake. First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and I, can I just pause there for a second? Some of you today, maybe you feel betrayed. Maybe you feel you're in a tough place this morning. Jesus made his sacrifice for us through the Lord's Supper on the night he was betrayed and he knew it. So take the bread now in your hand. It says the Lord Jesus on that night, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Now let's pray. Lord, thank you for your body that was broken, pierced, bruised, beaten. Lord, the bread of life, you are. And God, we remember that sacrifice today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you now carefully peel back the, the juice there. Paul continues in verse 25. He says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. And 
and let's once again pray. Lord, your blood was the atoning sacrifice. It paid for our sin, God. It made possible a relationship with you. And Lord, so God, we thank you today for what you have done for us. We ponder it, we consider it, we cherish it. And Lord, we worship you today, knowing that you gave it all, you paid it all on the cross for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Church, let's stand again as we continue to celebrate what he's done. Church, this is Chad Moore, and he shared with me his story of how God has been working in his life ever since he was a kid. And as God has had a call on his life, he's been moving him closer and closer to even just a few weeks ago. God 
spoke some things to, his, to him and he felt God's spirit moving. And he's like, that's God in my life and I need to just surrender to him. And so he came a, a week or two ago, a week ago, and said to Pastor Walter, I need to get baptized. I need to tell everybody of what God is doing in my life. And here he is today in, this, in the steps of obedience. And so Chad, I wanna um, ask you two questions. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And are you here today to follow his example in believer's baptism? Then it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. We're buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. And all God's people said, Amen. Welcome to church. What a great start we've had this morning. We're just so glad you're here. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us. I'm Bill Blaylock. I'm the church administrator, and we just want to connect with you. If you are a visitor or first-time guest, we have a gift for you out here at the welcome desk. We'd love for you to go out there. If you're a regular attender, 
We have a digital connection that, that we'd like to make with you. If you would type the word connect to 904-441-6900, that'll give you a what we call a link tree, but it's just a page with a whole bunch of buttons on it. It'll let you connect in different ways. You can, uh, you can choose to give there. You can come out, uh, fill out a connect card. You can tell us how to pray for you. Tell us the, the things you like and don't like about us. Also, um, you know, it'll, it'll let you, um, let you click the button and be able to give. And we have multiple ways to give. We have offering boxes in the back. We have the digital connection on the connect card. And uh, also you can go to our website, anastasiachurch.org. There's a lot of interesting things there. But uh, we have some announcements for today and Tamara's gonna bring you those. Good morning, I'm Tamara Bennett, Children's Minister, and just wanna draw your attention to a few things going on in the life of our church. This Wednesday night in the sanctuary, there will be a night of worship with Lifehouse. That's at 6 p.m. Um, a great opportunity to gather together midweek. And then the weekend of March 1st through 3rd, our youth, 6th grade through 12th grade, are having Impact Weekend. It's a great weekend of discipleship and something that you really would be highly beneficial to get your child involved. So registration is open. Again, that's for 6th graders through 12th graders, and it's the weekend of March 1st through 3rd. And then if you are, if you consider this your church home, but you just don't feel connected or you have a desire to serve and don't really know where to begin that journey, I have good news for you. The next two weekends, February 11th and 18th, we are having Say Yes, which is a time when every ministry in our church will have a table out in the atrium. And it's an opportunity for you to just walk around and see all the many, di many different ministries that you can be a part of and potentially serve in. So I encourage you to come next week and come early or plan to stay late so that you can visit these tables in the atrium and find a way that you can say yes to serving. Lewis? Meet Donna, a woman of unwavering faith. Her faith journey began with her kids. Her kids found their path in the children, youth, and college ministry. Their spouses embraced the faith too. Being a part of this family and sharing our faith has been incredible. We support each other in our walks with God. And now all the grandkids are here. It's not just for me, it's for my kids and for my grandkids and for all generations to come. Generations of Faith, a legacy that lives on. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. And um, if you've been a part of this church for any limited amount of time or any great amount of time, you know the Nicolosi and the Isaacson clan and family because all three generations... Yeah, go ahead, give it up. The reason why is because they are engaged and connected to the body of Christ here. So much so that what that video did not show you this morning is that every generation, and I had the second generation on stage with me this morning, is serving faithfully in ministry somewhere on campus during Sundays as well as during the week. As a matter of fact, I think, Jenny, I guess Josh is not up here because he's somewhere serving? Youth. All right. In youth, her husband this morning. 
So I say that because as we consider and contemplate moving into our new spaces this year, we're going to have to raise up volunteers in order to come alongside and fulfill those ministries that are going to reach those that are in the community and embracing the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ. So think about that and pray about that. The other thing that you did not see on, this, on the screen this morning in the video is that every generation of the Nicolosi and the Isaacson family are participating financially in the 4G campaign. Not only Mama Donna, but her three children, their spouses, and then their children. I don't know if you recall, but the last video we showed you with 4G highlighted Jenny and Josh's Summer and Audrey, how they took the five talents that Miss Tamara had challenged them with, and then they went out and entrepreneurially, they multiplied that to over $200 for four generations to come. And so I think that is really cool because if we can all do this together, we're going to ultimately get to the goal that we wanted. And I'm going to give you exciting news here in a second. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask, I've been told that, you know, we show this QR code to you all the time talking about digital. Well, I'm old school. I write a check. But that's okay. But I'm going to, I've been told that this uh, QR code is so simple that it's like a GoFundMe page. Is that right, is Evan? Because is that the truth? Yes. As an elder millennial, I'll be happy to show you how to do it. Would you please take my phone and would you please show us how in the world you do this QR code? There it is. I'm taking a selfie. <laughs> it's taking a selfie. Now that's pretty cool. Right there, you see how easy that is done. And so whether you give electronically or digitally, I continue to ask you to pray as we are now entering, I would say, the, the uh, season end of our journey. We're going to get into the playoffs here in the, in the summertime and ultimately get to the Super Bowl of our journey at the end of December. So I would ask you to continue to consider that as we continue on this journey. Now, here's the exciting news. Since we've been on this journey, I'm happy to announce to you this morning that this past week we eclipsed $7 million. So as we continue through these next 11 months, consider, I say faithfully and prayerfully, how we can close this gap. All right, let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning with uh, gratitude and thanksgiving and lifting your name on high, thanking you and praising you, Father, for what you are doing here in the midst of the body of Christ at Anastasia. For the progress, Father, that you have done on our behalf, how you have used us, how you have worked in us and through us as a body, how you've grown us, how you have stretched our faith, Father, how you've been so faithful to show up and show off so big. So, Father, we just want to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. And as, Father, we give to you this morning, we ask that you would take it, that you would multiply it, that you would use it for the advancement of the body of Christ here, for the ultimate purpose of enlarging and expanding and adding to your kingdom. And it's all in your Christ's name, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thank you, church. Amen. What a good morning it's been already so far, huh? Amen. So we're continuing on in our study of the book of Titus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Titus. Today we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. While you're turning there, I want to throw up a slide on the screen. I want you to think about what you see. Okay, so throw this little, the first slide up there. I want you to think about what you see right there. We got one times one is one, one times two is two, three times three is nine. You, all right, you peeking at that thing right there? Look at it, like, follow it all down. So those of you guys who are like, I didn't know we were gonna be doing math this morning. I'm not down with that. It's too early for math. You see, what, what do you see there? It's good, huh? 
All right, so did you, if, you're, if you're like a lot of people and the, and the, the, the kid that was up there this morning, um, go ahead and hit the next slide. Boom. What did you notice first? 10 times 10 is 101. You didn't know anything, notice anything about all the other nine things that were correct. You had to pick out my one little teeny tiny mistake. I was off by one. You know, because our eyes and our brains immediately gravitate toward the thing that's wrong. You didn't notice nine things that were right. You noticed the one thing that was wrong. And our brains and our consciousness easily remember and most often believe the parts of ourselves that we like or that we, that we, uh, that we like to think about the least. The worst parts in ourselves are the things that we remember the most. And I can't speak for everybody here, but, but I can imagine there are a lot of people who, who might agree with this, this idea that the bad stuff in our life is the easy is the easiest to believe. People may speak 10 or 20 good, encouraging things, but then the one bad thing that somebody says is the one thing we remember. And we're all like that in a lot of ways, in, in a lot of areas in our lives. I may accomplish 10 or, or 100 perfect things all day long, but it's the one thing that I messed up on, and that's the one when I'm laying down in my bed at night, and I'm thinking, ah. Oh, I messed up that little area. I may be um, eating healthy all day long. I may have nice and good salads and vegetables and clean meats and all of that stuff. But then when I broke down and finally took the one bite of a donut or I finally said I, I, I did a scoop of ice cream into the bowl and I was like, that one extra helping, that's the one thing that I remember. That's the one part of my, I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I could have just not done that one thing. There's this guy, it's a little, little bit deeper. There's this guy, his uh, name is Martin Luther, and he was a, uh, a Catholic monk in Germany in the 1500s. And he was often found weeping over the extent of his sinfulness. And he became, later became one of the most significant founders of the Protestant Reformation. And as devout as he was, He's quoted as seeing himself as a wretched sinner. Let's think about this even maybe a little bit deeper. There are probably some more, more significant decisions and seasons in your life that you might not be proud of. As you look back at your life, you might think of some habits that you have been involved with. You might think of a vice that you partake in. You might think of words and, and patterns of words that you say, or you might think of an action that you did once, or maybe an action that you did multiple times. And that might be the thing that when I, when I talk about that one thing that you're really not proud of, your mind is going there right now, as a lot of us in this room are. So I wanna ask yourself this, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you think you're a good husband? Women, do you think you're a good wife? Are you a good mommy? Are you a good daddy? Are you a great employee, giving it 100%, being the, being the best that you can be every week, and maybe even a little bit heavier? Are you a good Christian? To answer that question, 
you might be like, oh, I, I, I try. I try my best. I'm doing everything I could. I'm not as good as I, as I wish I was. I'm not as good as, a, as, as, as someone. I'm, I'm probably better than that person. Or maybe I'm not as good as that person. Or I'm not as good as I want to be. Not as good as I could be. Not as good as I should be. But I'm trying, you know. I probably guess there's plenty of moments in your life that you're not proud of. Let me let you in on a little secret. You ready? Me too. There's a lot of moments in my life that I'm not proud of. And you know what I need? I need something called grace. We all need something called grace. And that's what today's message is all about. Grace. What is grace? I think it's on the next slide right here. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. This is something I learned a long, long time ago. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It means that we get the riches of God and not because we deserve it, but because Jesus paid for it. Amen. And so the title of my message today is The Power of Unmerited Favor. Favor from God that we don't deserve. And we need this grace so completely and so consistently. And as we experience the grace of God, we can see how incredibly powerful grace really is. I heard a testimony of a guy a long time ago. He was huge in the Christian music world. And he... Um, had a huge moral failure that was in front of everybody. And um, he was kind of taken off the stage in a very public way and for a long time and went through a long process of, of restoration in his life. And he came back out with one song, and I, I don't think he's nearly as, he's not nearly still as big as he ever was. But he came out with this song, and he had, said this line at the beginning of this song, and it was all about grace. And he said this as a, as a Christian leader, as somebody in the church who spoke to other people all the time, he said this, he goes, I used to believe that grace was big enough for everybody else, but it wasn't big enough for me. Maybe you've ever felt like that. Grace is big enough to cover everybody else's mess ups, but not mine. We need God's grace so completely, consistently. When we understand it a little bit more, I hope that we'll be able to see the power of it. And this next passage is, the, is in our verse-by-verse -verse teaching through Titus chapter two. So look at me with a, a, at a verses 11 through 15. We're gonna read this here. I'm reading from the, the CSB version, the Christian Standard Bible. It says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things 
and encourage and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. So as we dig into this passage, I wanna share a little bit of context of what's going on here. As you've heard those, these other messages in Titus, you maybe, have, you maybe have captured this a little bit, but if you're just joining us, let me kind of share with you where we are in the book of Titus. This is written by the apostle Paul, and he's writing it to his partner in ministry, Titus. We know that from the very, very beginning where he says, I'm Paul, I'm writing this to you, Titus. And we see Paul and Titus's connection to each other in the book of Galatians and the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul actually mentions Titus and he says, this is my partner in the ministry and here we are, we're out and about doing ministry. And Paul and Titus, they were, they were ministering together at this church that was in Crete. And Paul was leaving, and he was leaving Titus there, and he wrote him this letter, basically a bunch of to-dos. I need you to do this, I need you to do this, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this. While you're there, still working on pastoring this church in Crete. Now, this church in Crete was first mentioned because at the, at the, the, the time of Pentecost, there were all sorts of people that were, were gathered in that room when the, when the Holy Spirit came down and in tongues of fire and rested himself on the, uh, on the apostles, right? Said there were people from Italy and Rome, there were people from all over, and there were people from Crete. And that's when, when uh, Peter started preaching and he started preaching in a language that everybody heard it in their own language. That's what I believe speaking in tongues is, is that they all heard it in their language even though Peter was teaching it and they're like, he's like, how in the world are all these people hearing this in, my, in their own language? Because God's spirit was going out to all those people. And there were some people in Crete, from Crete, they were there, they got saved, they, uh, they, they received the Holy Spirit and they went back home and they started sharing the gospel. And more and more and more people accepted that gospel. But there was a problem. Cretan culture was awful. There, it was nasty and super shady and dishonest. They were, they were sinful and rude. They were liars and cheaters. You couldn't trust anybody in Crete. They lied a lot. And that's why it's important. I want you to look at your Bible here. Chapter one, uh, verse two. This is Paul, he says, he says I'm Paul, I'm, I'm writing this letter in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Because everybody in Crete lied. Their gods lied and you couldn't trust anybody for anything. It was a nasty, nasty culture. They, they, uh, this set Paul and Titus' message apart from the entire culture. And the culture of Crete crept its way into every household, even the Christian households. Now, when I went to study this passage, I felt incredibly convicted about my own life. And it says, it says you gotta, in verse, chapter 11, or verse 11 of chapter two, instructing them to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous way in a godly way in this present age. And I'm like, I don't wanna stand here in front of everybody and feel like I got all of that together. Like I'm this great, you know, people put pastors up on a pedestal, right? Oh, you gotta be so much better. I'm not better than anybody else. So how am I gonna go out and, and preach that? So I start reading through Titus and I started looking at this and I was like, it's all over the place in this book. And I wanna, I wanna try something here. I wanna show you something um, that, I, that I noticed in this book. So I'm gonna change this to, to another, um, actually, I gotta um, start, 
broadcasting this. I'm gonna try something here with the iPad. I'm gonna see if this works here. There we go. Let's see if you can see everything. I'm gonna show you something that might be kind of neat. See all my apps, there we go. Is that up there? It is, fantastic. Okay, so as I started reading through the book of Titus, I started to notice something. That's why I landed here on this idea of grace. An elder, which is be a pastor, um, he must be blameless, faithful. Um, His children have gotta be not wild and disobedient, which that doesn't always happen, right? Um, An overseer manages God's household. His household must be blameless. That's some pretty hefty pressure right there. Blameless, zero blame. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, or pursuing dishonest gain. So any time that I ever pursue any kind of gain, it, ever, it never can be dishonest, right? You gotta be hospitable. I'm not the best at hospitality. I try and do my best. Loving what is good. I love what, I, I like to do, I like to try to be good, but, but I mean, to, I, sometimes it's kind of nice to do something that's wrong, right? You know, you, you, right? Um, so you gotta be sensible, which I'm not always sensible. Um, you gotta be righteous. I don't ever feel righteous. Holy, I don't feel that. Self-controlled, I try, I try my best, but I'm, I miss the mark a whole bunch of time. Holding on to the faithful message as taught so that he will be, uh, be able to encourage with sound teaching because everything that I ever say from the stage is always perfect, is completely sound, right? No, I tell the students, I said, don't just take my word for it. Read the Bible for yourself. And ask questions because I might say something that's wrong. Very rarely, but I might, okay? But with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it, okay? So going on in verse into chapter two, proclaim things that are consistent with sound teaching. There it is again. Older men are to be self-controlled and to be worthy of respect. I ain't always worthy of respect. I try to be sensible again and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers, because... You, you, you always get that one right, huh? Have you ever not slandered, I mean, have you ever slandered somebody? Well, then you're not in this crowd. Not slaves to excessive drinking. In the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Check that one out. In everything, you gotta be self-controlled. Good night, that's a pretty hefty um, uh, bar to, to, to keep right there. Um, make yourself an example. I gotta always be an example of good works with integrity and dig, uh, dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. That means that like nobody can ever uh, uh, um, challenge you because you're beyond reproach so that any opponent who may be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Am I that kind of person? Are you that kind of person? So that nobody can say anything bad about you? That's pretty hefty, isn't it? Okay, you keep, keep going here. And then after the, today's verses, uh, chapter three, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. Do you always submit to rulers and authorities? You never buck the system, right? To straight up obey and be ready for every good work, every single one of them, right? I'm not good at that. Um, to slander nobody. What about the people that need to be slandered a little bit? There's some people, you know, like this, I mean, to slander nobody, to avoid fighting and to be kind always, check that out, always be kind. Are you always kind every single time? Like, not me. Showing gentleness to all people 
I mean, no, I'm not going to say that. There's a lot of people that you could think of that you don't want to necessarily be gentle to all, you know, all the time. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, we were deceived, we were enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and evil, hateful, detesting one another. So this is what I'm, I'm sitting here reading this and I'm like, all the time, that's a lot of pressure to feel like, okay, I gotta have all of that together before I come and preach this message. And I just thought, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't stand here before people and say that that's me. I don't have a perfect record. You know what? Paul couldn't do it. Paul was a professional hater of Christians. He was probably complicit in the first Christian martyr. He was there holding the jackets of the people who were throwing stones at Stephen. And then even after he had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he got saved, he later wrote, he says, I struggle with the things in my flesh. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And the things that I do are not the things that I want to do. And he says, there's this battle within me. Even as a, a saved Christian, as a Christ follower, probably one of the best ever, Paul couldn't do it. And if Paul couldn't do it, as uh, couldn't keep that that super, super high bar of, of excellence there, then surely Titus couldn't do it. So are they hypocrites for even thinking that there's a standard? No. That's when the very, very first part of this passage today just slapped me in the face. They just need grace. They need grace, God's grace. I need grace. We need grace. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor of God. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. This means that we don't deserve God's goodness because if that is the the bar, then I miss it every day. In my sinfulness, that's what I want to focus on is how I miss it and how wretched I am. But instead, I need to realize that God offers his grace. What a good God he is. That he offers that grace to me and to you. Romans chapter five, verse 20 says that when sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. God's grace rises to the occasion to cover our sinfulness. Now, a lot of people would say, well, if that shows how good God is, why don't I just keep sinning and sin way up here so that God's grace will cover it even up here and that way everybody will know exactly how great God is. Because imagine if we applied that to our, our relationships. Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try to, uh, to, to sin as much as I can so that when you love me more, then, then that shows how, how much you love me, right? No, 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 we're not freed to sin. We're freed from it. But God knows that we mess up. And he gives us this gift anyway. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says that you are saved by grace and it's God's gift. I want us to go back here to this, um, to this, to this iPad here because I wanna show you the power of it. So this is what slapped me in the face. For the grace of God has appeared 
I'm going to do this color here because this is where I started going red. For all people. For the grace of God has appeared to us. And then it says, this is the power of that grace that he, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. This is the power of the unmerited favor of God that Jesus came to us and he saved us. He offered us his riches at no cost to us. And then in Titus chapter three, verses four through seven, it says that this is because of the kindness of God. He appeared to us, he saved us. Not by our works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He didn't give us just a little bit, he poured it out on us abundantly. Abundantly, he gave it to us so that by having been justified by his grace, we also might become what? Heirs. You know what that means? That means we have an inheritance. That means we are a child of the king. We are heirs to the throne of God. Not because I can do all of the stuff that it says, I can't reach it all, but because he gives it to me. That's the power of undeserved, unmerited favor. He makes me an heir to the throne. He has all riches to do all things that he wants to do in heaven and on earth and under earth. He can do anything. And I'm an heir to that. And he gives us a hope of eternal life. What's one of the most famous hymns of our day? Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. If you look at John Newton's story a little bit, he wrote that song in 1772 at 47 years old. You know what John Newton did as a career? He learned his career from his father. They sailed boats around Africa looking for people to capture them and sell them as slaves for their own personal gain. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, was a 17 or an 18th century, 1700s human trafficker. And later in his life, as he began to lose his ministry, or his, or his, his memory, he's quoted as saying he could really only kind of remember two things. One, that he was a great sinner. And two, that Christ was a great savior. And then he penned these words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The more we understand God's grace, the more we can realize that God's grace doesn't eliminate our imperfections, but it has supernatural power to completely cover 
our imperfections with Christ's holiness. That's some incredible power. And it comes to all of us if we'll just believe it, if we'll just accept the gift. And many of us in this room have already accepted that gift. And so I want to invite you today to live it, to believe it, to rest in it. And during this invitation, I wanna invite you to either come up here to the front and pray, turn around in your seat and just receive the grace, sit in it for a minute, ruminate on it, meditate on it. If you've already accepted it, if, you are, if you're a Christian today and you just to receive that grace, understand it a little bit more. I wanna challenge everybody in here as a point of invitation to when we walk out of here, to walk out there and share that grace with somebody who doesn't know about it. What a powerful, powerful message that is. But today, if you have never accepted the grace of God, if you've never accepted the riches of God, if you've never accepted this gift of God, I wanna invite you today to stand up out of your seat, to walk forward and to say, I need it. Chad Moore did that. He said, I'm gonna surrender my life and I'm just gonna accept that gift. If that's you today, I wanna invite you to come forward. We've got some counselors that would love to talk with you and help you know how to help you know exactly what to do with that decision. This unmerited favor, the holiness of God is a gift to you. It's a very powerful gift. It can change your life for eternity if you'll just accept it. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your unmerited favor. That you come to us when we were your enemy and you showed your love to us in such a way that you died for us. What wretched people we are. What a good God you are. Lord, I pray that salvation will come to this place today and sanctification will continue in us as we leave from here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd like to respond to God's word, then just come on up here and uh, we'll have some people that love to shout, uh, talk with you.
all alone And he heard and he answered That's why I trust him That's why I trust him I trust him